you are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 22nd of February. The Jazz Get to Know series continues as All-Star break finally winds down. Ricky Rubio, Rudy Gobert, and Joe Ingles all coming in your direction today on Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Thanks so much for tuning into the program. Glad to have you aboard. Here's what we're doing. Uh, honestly, today I needed a day just to get some um, I'm out for the day, so we're not doing our live Thursday show. Apologize for that. We'll be back with you regular Friday, to, uh, getting ready for the Blazers and back at it, the 11-game win streak. But uh, earlier this year, we sat down and did get-to-know interviews, and so we're re-airing a bunch of those. I hope you're enjoying that series and getting to know our jazz players better. For those of you who don't know, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider, and this is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast about the Utah Jazz, giving you expertise, insight into the Jazz, and uh, maybe even some geeky numbers. But today, just letting you get to know your players a little bit better. So we're going to air three get-to-know interviews for you. Ricky Rubio, Joe Ingles, and Rudy Gobert, all coming in your direction on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. Intercap Lending, and The Advocates. So thank you very much for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed these. Let's start it off with Ricky Rubio and getting to know Ricky Rubio a little bit better. Let's get to know Ricky Rubio a little bit. If you took me back to your hometown, what would you show me? Where would you take me? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things down there, but uh, of course I'm 20 minutes north from Barcelona. It's a... beach area so I will show you the beach I will show you a nice uh, restaurant area where you see the boats coming um, to eat and it's a nice area If you do you have any brothers and sisters? yeah I do, got an older brother and younger sister so you were the middle child? I was a middle child, I'm still a middle child does that mean you were the, but it doesn't seem like you were probably the forgotten middle child no, I mean uh, uh, I mean I was good with my parents so they were good to me if you took me uh, back to your childhood room what would I what would you what would I see in your childhood room well you will see um, MJ poster um, orange uh, wall colors I don't know why I did that but uh, I thought it was cool by the moment um, and some trophies when you were playing in the backyard as a kid, or in the local gym, uh, who were you? Who do you pretend to be? Uh, Alan Iverson, um, Jason Kidd, Steve Nash. I mean, I was watching a little bit of NBA, but uh, ACB two Spanish league, and Elmer Bennett was a, a great pointer too. And um, I don't know. Now your brother was a player. So what were, and how much older is he than you? What were those battles like? Two years older, and uh, he was bigger than me. And um, we used to play after having lunch at my grandma's. And um, I always end up crying because he was hitting me so hard that I went to my grandma and uh, complained about it. But uh, it made me tougher, I guess. So you told me the story, which I, I hadn't heard about, how you became the day happened that you ended up kind of this pro at 14. 
and it all had to do with a pair of shoes. Can you tell us the story about how it all happened? Yeah. Uh, like I said, my uh, older brother had uh, practiced with the first team when I was 14 years old, and uh, it was preseason, and I didn't have much to do, so I went to watch practice, and and there were nine players, and they needed an extra player to play five on five, so they asked me to play, and I was coming from the beach, so I didn't have any shoes. And uh, I asked one of my friends who was around the gym um, if he borrowed his shoes. It was a little smaller, but uh, anyway, I grabbed the shoes and played with them and practiced so good the next day they brought me to, they took me to preseason. Yeah, your parents were very protective of you, if I've read the stories right, that once you became pro, they made no endorsements, very limited media. They really tried to let you still be a kid. Yeah, in the beginning, I was 14, 15, 16 years old, still going to school, so coach and my parents got in a meeting, and um, they were got in agreement that uh, I shouldn't do any interviews because it took a lot of time for that I had to use to go into school, uh, no marketing, no nothing, because it's just basketball, which was good, but uh, at the end of the day, I have to keep going with my uh, my studies. You became quite a phenomena in hmm. Spain. What was, was that? Did you have any idea what was going on around you? What was that like? No, but uh, I guess that uh, a lot of kids made uh, felt like they could be a part of it. You know what I mean? Like I was their age and I was playing with pros. So I guess they got kind of in a mirror and uh, see themselves up there. And I wasn't that guy who was bigger and uh, athletic. I was just playing because I love playing basketball and they could be the same as me. Were you able to be whomever Ricky Rubio is or did you have to be this star all the time? Well, it was tough, you know. Uh, a lot of people knew me uh, as a professional, but no, not a lot of people knew me as a person. So sometimes I get confused, and I'm that type of guy who uh, kind of shy, doesn't want to talk much, but um, have fun with with my friends, close friends. And um, sometimes there's a lot of people who thought they were my friends just because they saw me on TV, but I didn't even know them. And uh, it was kind of rude, but it's just the way I was like I didn't want to have more friends than one that I, that I had you know and have you gotten to be Ricky Rubio yet uh, it's it's with the time you learn how to manage that but uh, of course when you're young you don't know how to do it but uh, of course with the time you you just get used to it and take the good and the bad part um, and you learn it what is your what was your first nickname I didn't have a lot of nicknames. I guess Ricky is a nickname. Uh, my name is Ricard, and uh, I like Ricky. Uh, but um didn't have a lot of nicknames. Uh, what is your... The NBA is all about downtime. What is your favorite thing to do in downtime? Well, you learn with, uh, with experience, and you learn how to um, use your downtime. And um, I like to read a lot of books... I like to play chess. I like to paint too, and uh, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I like to watch TV, but I'm not a big fan. But I watch a lot some TV shows too. So, who do you play chess with? Uh, I used to play with my friends, but um, 
they don't want to play me anymore because I, I become a little better than them. I mean, uh, they were they thought it was just for fun, and, and I'm not playing for fun. I'm playing for winning. Checkmate. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite road restaurant? Uh, there's a few, I guess. I love Spanish food, so when I go to, for example, San Francisco, there is a great Spanish food, B44, and then in in, uh, in Washington, um, Jose Andres is a great Spanish chef, and uh, I know him personally, and uh, he got a couple good restaurants down there too. Trying to think more, but um, of course, LA has great sushi, and I love sushi too, sugar fish, so... Um. I'm a big sugar fish fan. That's my own. I just steal your answers, by the way, and figure out where I'm going to eat. <laughs> what is your guilty pleasure? Uh, I'm not a big fan of desserts, but if I do, I do brownie. I love brownie or kulan. Now the brownies will start arriving for Ricky. <laughs> what is the most memorable moment of your career? Uh, I got a few. Uh, of course, when I was young, when I started playing pros... I always gonna remember my first game. Um, I remember the Olympic Games in 2008. I remember winning the European Championship in 2009 too. Um, remember my first game in NBA All Star game in a rookie sophomore year, and some of NBA games too. Let's. So this summer I read two books about elite performance. One was called Grit by Angela Duckworth, and the other is Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Um, and, you know, they both talk about the different things. One of which is, you know, why, why did you believe you could make it? I mean, it happened to you very young, but what was it that allowed you to believe? I was so young that I didn't realize I was becoming professional, you know. I was just playing basketball. Of course, I knew that uh, playing with kids of my age, I was seeing things and doing things that nobody else was doing and I couldn't notice. But uh, at the end of the day, I was doing it because I was having fun. So uh, I didn't have that belief. I just thought playing basketball was fun and I tried to make the best out of it. I mean, the flip side is, when have you had the largest doubt, and how did you get through it? Well, I still do have doubts. I mean, when you're becoming professional, um, and you're playing every day, and you're playing against the best, the toughest part is not reach that level, it's keep at that level, even improving when, when the line is so close. It's so easy to improve from 1 to 7, but 7 to 10, it's so hard to improve, and you don't see that improvement like you see in the, in the beginning and you discourage yourself so it's a mental process and you got to talk to yourself and go th- go through tough times and, and sometimes you don't have to get stuck with that mind of yours and get help it's interesting is one of the things they talk about is how difficult improvement really is that 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 it seems this you know just well, if i do this and i do this and i do this i get better but it doesn't work that way no i mean Actually, it does, but you don't see the improvement and, and the discourage is, it comes easier. When you want to improve from 7 to 8 or 8 to 9, the line is so thin so that you don't, you don't realize it. You've got to take time and you've got to believe in it and you've got to keep working and, and keep doing it. Even sometimes you're thinking that you're not getting better even you put a lot of work in it. 
So, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a battle between you and yourself. The voice in, in your mind is telling you one thing, and then the heart, the that willing that I want to get better, I want to improve, is telling you other. So, you got to fight and know what you're doing. In the book Talent Code, they talk about this Brazilian air what the book is really is finding the greatest in the world all in these little pockets and why these pockets create greatness so there's the violinists in Russian there's these soccer players in Brazil who don't have a soccer field but they're like all World Cup players because they play in this back alley with a smaller ball and then when they get in the open field the skateboarders from LA were all because of the fact that they uh, were during a drought and so the pools were empty and it was a real estate slump so the houses were abandoned do you have any examples in your career of practice that would be that kind of deliberate practice that really extraordinarily difficult practice that pushed you through uh, well I remember in high school um, back home in Spain everybody playing soccer so we had a soccer field and then we had four baskets around the soccer field and I want to play basketball so I only have one friend who want to play basketball too and we were playing one on one between soccer there was a soccer game going on and we were playing <laughs> on the side and trying so you had to play one on one real quick before the, the, the I mean it was two guys against 22 guys so it wasn't that we we gained but uh, it was fun because uh, like I said we had to play in a small court but um, it was great times when you think of perseverance what do you think of well I learned with experience that sometimes you gotta get up in the morning even you don't feel it and go but you gotta be smart you can't be hitting a wall sometimes you're hitting a wall and you're thinking it's gonna work but you gotta Sometimes I was working so hard that I was tired before practice even happened. And uh, you got to be smart. And um, sometimes work less works better. What I'm meaning is, of course, hard work pays off, but you got to be smart. You got to know your body, you got to know how you feel, and you got to save energy for what it matters. And uh, a lot of people wants to get better, and uh, that only comes with practice. That only comes with uh, a lot of hours of working. But you gotta know when to work and how to work, because a day off sometimes it's better than going to the gym when your legs are f- super fatigued and you get bad habits. When you are seven days in or in training camp, and you gotta go out, for, what gets you back out again? What gets you? Well, I mean. You gotta know. I remember. I remember KG telling me that uh, the hardest time of his life it was Game Seven in the finals when they won with Boston. Um, they called timeout, and they were sitting in the in the bench. And then he wanted to stand up, and his legs wasn't weren't working, weren't responding. And it was his mind and his heart that just kept going through that. Just to go through that game and get the energy that it was necessary to finish the game and uh, I always think when I'm tired and I can't go anymore as I'm talking to myself that at one point in my career I'm going to have that type of game that I don't feel the energy but I have to go through that because that that 
you practice for that day. Interesting. Let's end on this. Uh, there's a quote that says, superlative performance, elite performance, is the confluence of a dozen small skills, each one learned, drilled into a habit. What is your thought when you hear that? I believe that uh, reputations make you a habit. And uh, you do it in practice. You do it a thousand times. For the matter of that time in a game, it's just one time that it works. So if you want that time to work, you got to have that as a habit. And to gain a habit, you got to go a thousand times a day. I remember when I was young and hearing stories about Drazen Petrovic going to to arena at 6 a.m. in the morning shooting 2,000 sh- shots a day just because he wants that technique to be perfect and become a habit for that game that comes and, and feels like you do you have done it before. Thank you, Ricky. You're welcome. Pleasure to get to know you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Ricky's pretty insightful uh, and, you know, really talks openly about I think or alludes to some of his struggles offensively and confidence and things of that nature. We've seen him grow a great deal uh, this year with the Jazz. Hopefully his hip injury is is back and he's ready to go. Today's show is brought to you by Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. Devin has been with us from the very beginning. Great dude. And uh, when when I first met Devin and and asked him, you know, so you know if people are going to use. You're, I need to kind of. He says, "Well, I approach real estate with the heart of the teacher. I never want my clients to feel uncomfortable with any situation. I love working with first-time home buyers because I can guide them through the process from start to finish. And when they need to talk to me, you talk to me. You don't have secretaries, receptionists, coordinators. I never rush my clients into a decision. And as a cherry on top, I'll talk jazz basketball between houses. And you know what's been so great about this relationship is whether it's Zach Campbell or Tim and Whitney McKee or Ryan and Natalie Gubler, whoever it's been." That's been the exact response. I mean, Ryan and Natalie wrote, we worked with Devin as our realtor buying our first home. He was extremely responsive with text back super quickly, even outside normal business hours. He went above and beyond to, uh, when it came to walking us through the home buying process. He was an amazing resource and such a generally good guy. I mean, it's so cool to hear from those kind of things backing up part of our Locked On community. So, Devin, you can reach Devin at 801-759-1495. That's 801-759-1495. The other thing Devin wants to make sure you understand is what it takes to buy a house. Actually, a great survey just came out that shows that people think it takes much more than it actually does. So, Devin can help you through the process and let you know that, really, you can pro- you may be eligible and able to get something done as a first-time home buyer that you wouldn't be otherwise. So give Devin a call, 801-759-1495. And if I'm going to build two things together, today's show is also brought to you by Intercap Lending, a 40-year mortgage company that has moved to Utah. Intercap Lending has done did our refinance of our mortgage and our house saved us just a ton of money, like saved us really, I mean... It's great. I think it was, I don't remember what it came out to, but I think it was like six, seven hundred dollars a month or something. It's been just great for us. Steve Carter took me through the process. Uh, you can reach him at three eight five eight hundred eighty five twenty eight. That's three eight five eight hundred twenty five uh, eighty five twenty eight. Intercap Lending uh, has a great app that I used for almost everything. Uh, you can download the app. The cool thing is, if you're in the market for a house, you're going to be working with Devin Cash. The market's insane, so you can pre-qualify based on the information through the app, and then give that to Devin. When you use Intercap, if 
lending, what you're going to find out is that they have their direct lender so they can get difficult loans done. Low credit, self-employed can be difficult. Business assets sometimes. If you own multiple properties, it can be difficult. Let them take a look. If you've been denied somewhere, give Steve Carter a call. 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. And give him a call and he will walk you through the process. This is what we did for our refinance, it was really a simple, and I'm a pain. I'm so busy. I don't have time for these things, and they were able to help me through the process. So check it out. Intercap Lending. Call Steve Carter at 385-800-8528. Visit intercaplending.com. Download the app, Intercap Lending, NMLS, number 190465. That's intercaplending.com. All right, let's go to our next get-to-know, Rudy Gobert. Growth mindset extraordinaire when you listen to this conversation. All right, let's get to know Rudy Gobert a little bit. If you took me back to your hometown, where would you take me? What would you show me? Uh, I'll show you when I grew, uh, the neighborhood where I grew up uh, in Saint-Quentin, north of France. And I'll probably show you uh, probably the school that I went to uh, and all kind of stuff. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Yes, I have one brother and one sister. They're both uh, older than me. So you were the youngster. Were you always trying to keep up with them? Yeah, I was the youngest. But they, I mean, we got, my brother got 10 years older than me, and my sister got uh, about 18 years more, more, not 18 years, 13 years older than me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm the definitely the youngest. So you were very close with your mom. Is that a little bit because you were the only child, almost an only child? Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, I mean, I was with my mom since, since I was born. So, yeah, I was, she was kind of protecting me, you know. It's very, it's one of the cuter things when I see the two of you together, walking various times around. If you took me back to your childhood room, what what did it look like? Uh, back in the days, I had a lot of uh, basketball posters, uh, a lot of little uh, little games. It was pretty messy, but you know, just just a kid's room. Well, who were they on the posters? Uh, I used to get that uh, it was a basketball magazine, and every time you had like a poster. So I wasn't picking, but there was a lot of players, usually all stars, probably from ten years ago, twelve years ago. When you were a kid playing, did, who were, did you always pretend to be? I wasn't pretending to be anyone, to be honest. I was just yeah, I was just being myself. Uh, I was trying to get better, and you know, just try to every day just learn. What was the worst chore? you ever had as a kid I think I did the I don't know if you know Macarena the song hey Macarena yeah, yeah I, think, I think I did the dance one time <laughs> but there's no proof there's no video <laughs> evidence uh, what was your first nickname my first nickname uh, I never had much nicknames until I got here and Stafford Tower. I have another nickname in national team, but uh, I can't really say it. <laughs> I have uh, yeah, Gobzilla, Stafford Tower. What is your? You have a lot of downtime in the NBA. What's your favorite thing to do in that that free time? Well, I know I, I just made a music studio in my in my in my house, so I'm, I like to do some music and stuff. So I'm working on it. Are you producing music? Creates the what? Are, what's I'm more I'm more I'm more singing. I'm singing, rapping, but. Uh, I'm learning to do both, you know, just because it's fun and, and I like it. Interesting. Um, what is your favorite road restaurant? Road restaurant? 
man, I've been to some, I've been to a lot of restaurants. I need to, I need some time for, to think about this. This one. I'm just trying to steal places to eat this year, you know. All right, let's get into kind of. There's these two books that are very popular right now. One's called Grit by Angela Duckworth, and the other's Talent Code by Daniel Coyle, and it's about what creates peak performance, creates you know what allows stars. So the first one's why did you believe you were going to make it? Because I wanted it, you know. That's what I wanted to do, and uh, I think in life, when you when you want to do something, there's no reason why you you can't do it. What gave you the hope? What gave me the hope? Uh, I mean, first of all, my dad. My dad was a basketball player. I was, I think, uh, you know, indirectly, I was thinking I was like trying to be better. You know, I, I never say that, but I think. Probably knowing myself, that's probably what I, what I was thinking when I was younger, and I'll just try to be better, try to try to aim, you know, try to take it one step at a time, but always aiming higher. When you think back about your journey, when you think back to what some of the other kids were doing, how were you different? What was the thing that separated you from the other kids? I think I was I always was always having fun in what I was doing, you know, uh, always competitive, always trying to win. Whatever I was doing, uh, the most important thing was winning, you know, and uh, it's still the same now. Whatever I do, you know, I don't, I don't want to lose, I want to win. And uh, I think in life, you know, when you have that kind of mentality and you do the right thing to put yourself in the position to win, there's no reason that you don't reach your goals. And sometimes you're going you're gonna to fail, but if when you fail, you still keep, you know, you get a plan B and you keep bouncing and, you know, you, you'll be fine. In the book Talent Code, they talk about deliberate practice, or they, he actually calls it acute practice, and it's, it's kind of looking at hotbeds. So in Brazil, there's a story about the best soccer players all come out of this place where there's actually no field. They play in these little alleyways in the inner city and mm. in the ghetto, and so their feet are faster because they're playing with little balls, and mm. they get out in the big field, and they're so much bigger. What would be an example in your career of where you maybe practiced in a way or pushed yourself beyond what you were comfortable with? I always love to do things that most people don't do, you know. Uh, I think that's you know if you want to be different, you want to be better. You have to do things. You have to do things differently than other people. And I always listen to all the coaches, all the people that help me. But at the same time, I was trying to you know be myself. And uh, and I think it's great. You know, I always have fun trying some new stuff. And you know, it doesn't have to be basketball. Just trying new stuff in general. In the book Grit. They talk about not having complacency. You, you might be the best example of someone who's like, you know what, I'm just. What allows you to have that kind of belief that you always can improve and you can always get better? I think it's inside me, you know. Uh, I think I'm I'm 25 and, you know, I'm just learning. And not only on the court, I'm learning about myself. I'm learning about, you know, everything in, in general, in life. I'm just learning, you know, every day, every year. And uh, and I'm open to learn, you know. I'm, I'm, I open my mind and, you know, I just learn about all kind of stuff. Perseverance, the word yeah, persist. Exactly. What, what, what allows you to? What, what does that mean to you? What persistence means is means like, you know, whatever happened, whatever. If someone tells you you won't make it, if someone tells you you're not good enough, you you know that you believe in yourself, and you know that if you do the right things, you you're gonna succeed. And it might not take one day, it might not take one year, but if you don't give up, you know you keep keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Sooner or later, you're gonna get it because other people either they already have it and they're gonna give it up, or, or other people are gonna give up before they get it. You know, so 
if you never stop, you're always going to end up first. There's a quote that says, to do anything really well, you have to overextend yourself. You have to do something over and over that's unnatural until it becomes natural. What would be an example for you? I think it's about, for that, maybe muscle memory, about shooting, about finishing, you know, uh, the habits, defensive habits, you know, the things that when you start, you're not used to it, but by doing it, doing it over and over, you know, you it just becomes automatic it's like when you when you write for the first time you know you don't know it's weird but then once you do it every day and you learn it then it's nice automatic you know superlative performance elite performance is really a confluence of a dozen small skills each one learned having been drilled into one larger habit when you think of your game what are the small skills the minute or kind of tiny details that allow you to be as good as you are it's all details, you know, it's all little things that you put together in the same outside the court, you know, nutrition, recovery, all that stuff, you know, it's it's all the little things that you put and then you, you get a big thing. And on the court, it's all communication, hustle, uh, talent, finish. I mean, you put all these little things together and then you get a great player. Yeah. Finally, what brings you out every day? After 11 straight days of practice or six straight days or... What gets you out for the next day? What keeps you coming back to the court every day? Because I have fun and I enjoy the process of, you know, getting better. Sometimes, I mean, it's, it's not fun to fucking, sorry, to to be suffering in the way through my the court. But when when I, when I, when I'm in this way through, I don't really, I'm seeing the the issue. You know, I'm seeing like the where can he text me? Where can that? You know, what can I do for me? And, and then it hurts, but it feels good at the same time, you know, because I know that then I got nothing to, even if I don't succeed, I know that I did the right thing to, to help myself succeed. Yeah. All right, a little fun final one. I did this with Howell. Thank you to Rudy. You wonder why he becomes has become great. I mean, that's, that's pretty simple. He's been better since he's gotten back, too. He has just been absolutely brilliant. Today's show is brought to you in part today as well by The Advocates. Matt and the crew, I guess found out I get to have lunch with Matt coming up. Really, I, I, when I met with Matt, it was cool. I, I didn't know what to think. He has a cool office right in the avenues, and we stopped in. I didn't know what to think, honestly. Inter, injury attorney and that whole, you know, like, so what's the deal? And I met with this guy and was so impressed by the way he's approached this business. Uh, maybe it just speaks to who I am a little bit, but this is a guy who, first off, was not ashamed at all about the fact he's there to help people through a difficult time. And then the second thing was just the art, almost the artistry by which he envisions and has taken this uh, injury attorney, particularly with auto uh, cases. So what he explained to me is that less than 1% go to trial, 3% go to arbitration. So if you're in an accident, they're all different. The process, though, from that point, the minute you pick up the phone and call 801-355-5550 to get Utah Advocates, you'll get an attorney that calls you within 60 seconds. And then the process is the same. And what they've built at Utah Advocates is a 106-step process that they've mastered over 25 years, gotten better and better at it. And what they are able to do is get you good results, make sure nothing bad happens to you and treat you well. But through that process, they have little special teams people working at each and every spot along the way to give you the best experience. Because that efficiency means productivity, that means communication, and that means expediting the process for you. And then you get good results, nothing bad happens, they treat you well. It's the Utah Advocates. An attorney will call you within 60 seconds. Call them at 801-355-5550. That's 801-355-5550.
And we wrap up today's fun get-to-knows with the character, but yet serious in much of this conversation, Joe Ingles. Uh, if you took me back down to your hometown, Oof. what would you show me? And, you know, what, what were the things in your hometown you'd want us to want us to see? Um, I think we've got a really good uh, tall and small shop, so you could go in the small section of that. Um like little baby jeans and baby t-shirts, which you would fit in perfectly. Um, my hometown's kind of not really known for too much. Adelaide itself is is city of churches, is what the nickname, I guess, is. Um, I'm not a uh, big... Uh, um, whatever you call it. Uh, Historian. Hist- <laughs> um We've got good, good, a few good restaurants, coffee. Um, it's a very quiet city, so you, there, there's not a whole lot to. Do. It's kind of like, like Salt Lake. It's not a whole lot to do, but some really good coffee and places, restaurants, very good people like Salt Lake. Um, I take you to Magic. It used to be called Magic Mountain. It's like a little uh, fake mountain, and there's like games inside of it, so you could play like some video games and what the kids do before they go to the movies. You could do that. Um, yeah, we'd, we'd make it work. And I'd have my short jeans. Um, how many brothers and sisters did you have? What was the family birth order? Um, just mum, dad, and then an older sister and, and me. Uh, if you took me back to your childhood room, what would it look like? <laughs> it's kind of probably a little bit... Of, so me and my sister, at whatever age it was, like early teens, um, got to choose to paint our rooms whatever color we wanted um and i picked baby blue for some for some for some stupid reason um i had my room was actually a study like an office so it was tiny it had like a single kind of bed or whatever a little tiny little cupboard and a little thing with a tv on it and that and i could like i had to hop out of the bed and i was like basically touching the tv um my sister, my sister picked like cow print, so she had white walls with like cow patches all over it. So I don't know what was going on in our household when we were young, but we both weren't thinking straight. Um, why do you wear numbers two? Because um, seven's retired. Uh, I'd always wore seven. I wear it with the national team. I've worn it pretty much every team I've I've been on. Um, I asked for it, not knowing a lot about the jazz before I came here, and got very quickly shut down um then i actually asked for number 22nd um and again got i was 20 in barcelona so that was kind of my my second number um got shut down on that obviously with i should take i could could take it now again um you a lot of scotch tape on the back of jerseys there was there would be um or you just peel it off and keep it number two um and then I didn't really know what number to be, to be honest. And I, my, I'm born on the second of October. Um, now I've got two kids, so it kind of works a little bit. And one of my my very very good friends is number two in the Australian Rules football, and he always said to me, "If you can't pick number seven, be two. And it was open, and it just kind of worked out. And now I really like it. I really like it now. So, what's the most memorable moment of your career? Oh, I am. Um, Probably my first Olympics is is always going to stick out. Um, I was 20, 20 years old. Um, 
was like kind of on the brink of making or not. A couple of guys got injured, and I, I got in as a, a 20 year old, which was something I never thought of um, going to Olympics full stop. But then obviously getting to play and, and make one at 20, and, and now I've gone to three of them. Um, last year's last year's playoffs was something that I'll always remember. Um, after the first couple of years of um, kind of getting close and working through the injuries we've, we we had and um, that whole kind of drama, I guess, for, for two or three years and then to, to finally kind of get healthy. And I, I guess we were still beat up a little last year, but um, to get, get our guys healthy, get our team out there, make the playoffs, and then actually kind of put a crease in it and not just make it and, and get swept and go home. We obviously got that uh, great win against the Clippers, which for me was even nicer as well. Um, and then obviously got swept by the, the, the Warriors. But to... to um, those two things will always stick with me. The ja- just being at, I guess, in Utah as well, being dra- not drafted but being uh, selected, and and obviously now being able to stay here for seven years is it's great. Kind of get a little deeper here. There's two books out that are very popular in elite athletics right now. One's called Grit by Angela Duckworth, and the other's Daniel Coyle's Talent Code, and. A lot of them are just about perseverance and things. Your career kind of exemplifies it. So, just on the first level, like what made you believe you could make it? Um, I probably nearly did give up, to be honest. Um, I always, I, I guess, I always knew I wasn't like the best player. I was never the most talented in junior stuff. I was never first picked on any teams or anything like that. Um, I went to Europe. Um, after not getting drafted, which I kind of expected, obviously just being a random kid from Australia that I, I played in Australia, I didn't I didn't come over to college. Um, and then, I mean, you nothing. There's nothing that anyone's ever said that's kept, like that sticks with me. That like you'll never make it, or you're never you're too small or skinny, or like there's never no, like I never had one of those moments. Like a lot of people actually do have. Um, but I always felt like after my first few years in Europe that I could really help the right team. Um, I didn't know which team that would be. Um, I had no idea. I hadn't even looked at it, to be honest. Um, then getting the, the time that I was like, all right, well, maybe I'm just not, was when I got cut by the Clippers and I was like, all right, well, I had a crack. I've done two summer leagues. I've done training camp now. Obviously, I'm not good enough and we'll... I've got a European passport. I'll go back and make decent money and live a, a decent lifestyle over there. And um, it is what it is. And um, as silly as it kind of, not silly, I guess, but Renee's probably been one of the biggest, um, not just support, supporters, but she was cut from her Australian team after making it for several years. And um, I guess to see the kind of firsthand the work she put in to get back she moved to another state um to, to get under a new coach and um kind of restarted her whole um life really like in terms of eating and lifting and how she she went about the whole business and i kind of got to see that firsthand for a few years after and she ended up getting back in the team and was vice captain and won two two gold medals after that and um has retired now a, a, one of the top australians to play um, so to, to see that and, and she was the one when, when we got to the Clippers and um, she flew over to LA and I'd just been cut I was like kind of like F the world and everyone hates me and this is the worst thing ever and um, 
we went out for lunch and she kind of just got me back on track a little bit, I guess. And, um, still, I guess still didn't know I was going to be over here. I still thought maybe I'll, I'll go home for a little bit. I hadn't been home for five or six years. So I'll spend a few months at home and then just go back to Europe eventually and finish out the season with someone. And, um, got the call from these guys. Uh, I think it was the next day. Um, and that was the point where I was like, all right, I'm not letting this one go. Like, this is it. This is it. I'm 27. This is it. I'm either going to make this team or I'm going to get cut again and I'll I'll be in Europe. So I was like, I'm putting everything into it and passed up my first 400 shots in the league to, <laughs> to try and get kicked out. But uh, I obviously just kind of was trying to fit into to the team, find my role, and um, very happy it worked out this way. I actually was reading these books this summer, and actually when I grabbed this quote, I totally thought of you. To do anything really well, you have to overextend yourself. You have to do something over and over that's unnatural until it becomes natural. When you hear that, what comes to your mind? Um, everything from the day I got cut from the Clippers, probably. Um, I was never... Even, even before I got to Utah, I think everyone just kind of... I got labelled, I guess, a little bit as a shooter, but I, I didn't think I was that good a shooter. Um, I was okay in pick and roll, but I wasn't great in pick and roll. I was I could play defence when I was focused, but I wasn't always focused on it. And um, Like I said, it was that day that I was like... When, when they called and I said, yeah, let's, let's do it, it was like I need to do everything I can and I need to become great at a few things and I need to, 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 to cement myself otherwise I'll be back playing in Europe again and I didn't not that I didn't want to do it but it was the, the lesser of what I wanted to do um, and with Renee's help and um, obviously massive credit to, to Quinn for, for bringing me over and Dennis for actually getting me here but um, yeah it's, it's one of those things for me it's kind of just it feels like it it was just a natural fit from from day one, and um, I'm very, very glad I'm here, and I'm very glad I got to re-sign a couple of times and um, hopefully retire here soon. Or oh, not soon. But <laughs> Final thing, what makes you come back out every day? You're tired. Just what, what makes you get back out every day? Oh, a few things. I mean, I, I obviously love by basketball. I still love playing. I still love getting better. Um, I still think I can get better. Um my family, my wife and kids are, um, my wife was always, uh, I guess a, a bit of motivation, but then you throw the kids in there too. And it kind of turns it up to a whole new level, um, to make, to make them proud, to, 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 to make my family proud. And, um, I guess the last thing is just to, with the fans in the city, especially now that I've got to know the city and the fans and like all you guys and media, every, everybody, um, Oh, I just love everything about the city and the people and everything, and um, we would love to bring a, a trophy back here one day for, for this for the team and the fans. And um, I think I think Rudy's the other one that's kind of stated it too. Like we, we just we, we won't stop until until we have the chance to do that. So thank you very much. No worries. Thank you. Special thanks to Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert, Ricky Rubio, and to the Jazz organization for giving us that time at the beginning of the season to have those conversations. It's such a nice uh, way to get to know the players, let you get to know the players better, uh, and hopefully you enjoy this edition of Lockdown Jazz. Thanks to Devin Cash, thanks to Intercap Lending, and thanks to the Advocates for sponsoring today's program as well. This has been Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.